0: I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, I'm excited to welcome a special guest who's been doing great work spreading the word about the authoritarian threat to our democracy and helping build the pro-democracy coalition. And, and I think it's just been educational repeatedly with his videos uh, and, and, of course, his book. David Pepper, former chairman of the Ohio Democratic Party and author of Laboratories of Autocracy, David welcome
0: thanks Joe honored to be with you today
1: you know look David one of the thing I really think um, that I wasn't I'm one of those who wasn't paying attention to it either uh, with all the focus uh, on everything you know all the big stuff that's going on one of your main points is that the threat to our democracy is is isn't all these obvious things it's not the Marjorie Taylor greens or the Trumps of the world as much as what's happening in you know, more insidious ones that that we're not noticing or a lot of and I think a lot of pro-democracy people didn't didn't focus on um at the local and and, and state level right and um it, it was you who made me wake up to that uh as bad as it was uh how did you is it because of your work in Ohio how did you sort of realize this
0: yeah I mean I in some ways I've seen it and lived it and in the opposite way of you described, I was so close to it in a way that it only really the big picture became very, very clear really in the last couple of years. And then I had some time since I was no longer chair to actually write it all down. But yeah, as you're saying, you know, there, there's the talk of autocracy that couldn't be more clear from Donald Trump and the, the instincts of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. But then there's the actual sort of institutionalizing of it and the, the mechanism for it. And that is where you know I'm writing about the mechanism to really hack away at democracy most effectively does rest in state houses. And what you, if you take a close look, as I write in my book, and, and the, the title "Laboratories of Autocracy" is essentially the, what I'm referring to as our state houses. They are doing the very same things in an, in an accelerating fashion and by the way and it predates trump so this is not just about trump or the big lie they are they look very similar to what we see in in places like hungary where they're just doing step after step after step to attack democracy itself and key you know aspects of it that we all sort of take for granted and the the threat of that is not just to the people of ohio within ohio by a bad ohio statehouse it's the fact that these state houses in our founding you know institutional structure from evermore control major levers over a nation's democracy so if a number of these state houses basically become undemocratic that they have the power to undermine the entire nation's democracy which by the way is a concern that even james madison and founders had that state houses could do some very bad things so i guess my book is trying to say you know kind of like the movie you know don't look up don't only look at the crazy donald trump speeches although we have to look at those too. Don't just get upset about how wild you know Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Green are, because just like them, there are hundreds of people just like them in states, in power, in the majority, who aren't just talking, but every single day are acting against democracy, and they have a lot of momentum, and they have a huge head start as everyone else tries to wake up for it. So let's get going quick to start engaging the battle, not as we've seen it, but as they see it because they see it in a very different way, a deeper way than we have for too long. And if we don't go right where they are, they're going to win. And that's that's sort of the sobering wake-up call of the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, what what struck me uh, is how uh, uh, literally asleep at the switch, the Democratic Party has been as a party, I mean, as a national party, I mean, with you know, focusing donors and activists so much on Senate and, and House and and governor's races obviously those are all really really important but but take I mean totally did not grasp the far right's uh focus on building locally you know at these legislative races right. and taking over state houses and now you're starting to see uh well I think it started it became clearer a few years ago and Democrats have started to react to it but still nowhere near I think with the urgency that all of us, regardless of party, if you're pro-democracy in this country, you've got to understand that, that the, they, and that's what I love about the title of your book, that states have really become laboratories of autocracy.
0: Yeah, so uh, absolutely. And one of the things that, that you see in states like Ohio, and, and really all over, we get excited about governors and secretary of states races, and we need to focus on them. But these state houses actually have enough leverage and power that they can overrun what often are, like in Ohio, a more moderate state level official like governor. You know, you've seen it Mm -hmm. with the whole battle over COVID. We had a governor, a Republican, who was actually started out pretty reasonable on COVID. And over time, the state house just ground away, brought anti-vaxxers into hearings and started passing laws and threatened to impeach them. And that happens in elections, too. And so these state houses have enough power to actually negate the other checks and balances in that state, whether it's their own party or another party. And so, yeah, we have to win those seats, but the state houses themselves have to be contended with. And and the key to the, and by the way, you mentioned the title, autocracy, obviously, it's from the old Brandeis quote, laboratories of democracy. But in that phrase of my title, it's not just autocracy that's a key word. Laboratories is key, too, because as I walk through in the book, they are playing a repeat game. And every time they do something in any state that works, the other states all look at it, study it, and repeat it. Any time a state tries something that fails, like Ohio tried to crush collective bargaining in 11, it failed because they included police and fire unions. That crushed it. What have states done since? They don't include police and fire unions when they attack collective bargaining. So these states are learning from everything they do that works in any state. They're learning from things that when they fail, how to correct for that failure. They're always getting better at what they're doing because they have this ability to work on a playing field of dozens of states. The key to it all, though, and this is why we got to get to state houses and run in every district and end the gerrymandering however we can, is a lack of accountability, if they can run these repeat games, knowing they'll never lose office, no matter how illegal or crazy or extreme something they do is that's how the, that's the that's why they can keep going. They don't fear for their own reelection. So they can pass that crazy law in Texas about Roe v. Wade. Even if it's unpopular, they'll never lose. We have to start figuring out, you know, through elections, through organizing, through legal, if if, if you know, I love that they're trying to say to Madison Cawthorn can't run again because he's an insurrectionist. We need to figure out every way we can that the people doing these terrible things aren't held accountable, and that their laws struck down. It's that they themselves, in their next election, pay a price for what they do. Until we bring accountability back, they're just going to keep operating as the laboratories that they are.
1: Right. Well, that's one of the things I saw, uh, Alex, and I saw in Alabama uh, when we were working, uh, you know, for Doug Jones uh, uh, in his run for the Senate. Uh, in 2017 and, and 2020, is it, you know you're in that race, but I I was watching what the legislature was doing. It's not a functioning democracy. Right. I mean, a oh. lot of these state houses are not functioning democracies. They just they've got such a, a massive majority with no no accountability that that they can do exactly what you you've been yeah. talking about here. You know, may, uh, taking a law that that they see in Texas or somewhere else, implementing it. With carte blanche, I mean, with a lot of times without the press, even in the state
0: reporting on it, it just does it's not a big deal because uh, it's going to pass the lesson from the last ten years is I call it the eighty twenty rule. If they throw a hundred things forward and twenty percent of them pass, that's fine because they do it over and over again. And the state House press corps are so, you know, diluted that they throw it forward. they the maybe. Maybe some of them get so much attention, they quit. Uh, but everything else passes and never got a headline because those reporters can only cut so much. So they've learned that you throw it all forward. Craziest, the crazier, the better. Some of it will not survive the process, but a whole lot of other things will get through that no one ever even even notices. So And that's what they're all doing. And anytime it's passed somewhere, then they have a law that another CIA could say, oh, this isn't crazy. Uh, Texas did this or Tennessee did this. Let's do it in Ohio. So it's, they're always sort of making, making this progress. So one thing you mentioned, though, that I think is a really important point that I didn't really grasp until I started looking more closely. It's not only lack of accountability as the overall institution that, that, that's come from this gerrymandering. In states like Ohio, especially with term limits, we are now, the t- because the 11 gerrymander was the most extreme in our country's history. We are now at the tail end of an entire generation of politicians in these majorities who almost to a person have themselves never been in a real election. They literally themselves, their own rise to power, Joe, they haven't been part of the kind of campaigns you've been part of. They never even have felt the pressure of democracy or how it feels like. So they're living in a non-democratic world and that's been their entire career it's all they know, and what happens when you don't know something, you're scared of it. And by the way, the, and the other thing I put in the book, in a world without democracy, which is the world they've been living in, all the incentives are turned upside down. You know, the public outcomes don't matter because the people back home don't have a choice, and they don't even know who you are. Um, but keeping those private donors who are running for-profit charter schools or the the energy grid privatization in Texas, that's what matters. So, if you serve those private ends, which they always do, even if the public outcomes are a disaster, like people freezing in Texas or Ohio public schools cratering, it doesn't matter. And, and so, so that these people have all been working in a non-democratic world with incentives that are upside down versus any democratic world. So what do they know? If they ever were in a real democracy, they would lose. They're corrupt. Their outcomes are indefensible. They're far more extreme than the populations of their states. So the only way they can keep doing what they're doing and keep doing the bidding of the Koch brothers, et cetera, is to keep rigging elections and keep democracy at bay. If they ever faced a real democracy, given what they've been doing for their entire careers, they would all lose. And the smart ones know that. And that's why the extreme gerrymandering at the statehouse level, you know, we all focus on Congress. The right, gerrymandering right. at the state house level is the key to the whole thing. It's what allows them to be unaccountable and keep doing all that they're doing without ever worrying about it. But it's a generation of people who literally have never been in democracy. And that's why we should stop being surprised by how they act.
1: Well, actually, it's part of what you're seeing is the the gerrymandering at the state house, the state rep level. And their success at doing that actually has made them even more, uh, again, you know, sort of more aggressive in 2011 at doing it at the congressional level, right? I mean, in other words, what's, what's like you see this in Alabama, the state legislative districts forget about it, there are hardly any uh you know numbers of democrats right. really uh, in, in the state house which lets them again the, the republicans can do anything they want and it won't even be there's no chance of uh of of getting a vote that would counter it and now you see in there the the uh uh they literally tr- there should be at least two Democratic congressional districts, just because of the African American population alone right. um, in in the state. They tried to draw it um, to only have one, and 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 a court threw that out. So, so you know, the, uh, you do see this. Mm-hmm. You just saw that in Ohio too, yeah. I think. I mean, where the the court uh, 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 did it. You know, one of the things I I wanted to talk to you about is is Ohio because. Um, you kind of describe it as a perfect storm, I, and you know, uh, you know, the population shifts, the the state level cor- corruption. How, how did you see that developing there,
0: and how does it translate nationally? Do you think? I mean, it, so Ohio, it's easy to, and this is what you know. For those who haven't read the book, I summarize it. It's it's sort of like that book. It's the matter with Kansas, or what's the matter with Kansas? But it's about Ohio, and it's about democracy itself, and it, and I use a lot of other states too, but. The warning from Ohio, and that's why I call it a, a wake up call from behind the lines. We had a Democratic statehouse as recently as 2010. Our congressional delegation was 10 8 Democrat, Republican in t- going into 2010. And we had a Democratic governor. And it shows you that, and they were. And when Obama won in 08, it didn't just win the presidency for Obama, it knocked out a Republican statehouse that had been gerrymandered in 01. And what Ohio shows is even a state that's sort of lean blue, toss up, but had been blue in recent history, that if you meddle with the the election, so you're rigging all the legislative races, and you take steps like purging millions of voters that are disproportionately voters of color and the Obama coalition, and you go after certain steps of voting like early vote or the week where people could register and vote at the same time that you actually can do what they tried to do, which is gut the Obama coalition, force campaigns like the Clinton campaign to spend most of its time to re-register purge voters and not talking to swing voters. You can actually change the makeup of your state and the legislative direction of your state. And that's what they did. They went from those majority Democratic state houses and Congresses to guaranteed super majorities all decade and a guaranteed 12-4 Republican Congressional map. And, so, and, and, the, and as I go through in the book, and this is a really important point that gives some of the, the way out for Democrats, if we think about it this way, endemic to this broken, corrupt rigged system in state houses, because it's driven by major private players who want public assets given to them. Endemic to that setup is failed public outcomes. Disastrous public outcomes. We have lived that in Ohio. When Strickland was governor going into the late 2000s, Ohio was the fifth highest ranked state in the nation when it came to public education across a variety of measures. Now we're in the mid-20s. We have among the worst health outcomes in the state, a state with the Cleveland Clinic and the Cincinnati Children's Hospital, one of the top two or three in the country, health outcomes in the low 40s. Number one opioid state for a number of years, close, you know, top bottom two or three in other years. The outcome, you know, highest level of college debt in the country, public outcomes crater in this world. So it's not only that it's a political problem, and Democrats are upset that we're not winning the state. Lack of democracy in these locked up state houses, locked up by private interest, basically guarantee that public outcomes start to fall rapidly. This. The trickle-down worldview of the Koch brothers and Alec and, and those that get into office are a disaster for public outcomes. So Ohio is living it not just in the changed party numbers and party line numbers, but in the, in the consequences to everyday people in blue areas and red areas where small towns are dying are, are devastating. And long term, as bleak as that is, and it's bleak and I wish it weren't happening, that also starts to give you a light at the end of the tunnel. How do you change the problem? You change the problem in the way that Laura Kelly won a governor's race in in Kansas. Schools were down to four days a week. That's not good for anybody, and and everyone figured that out. In Ohio, towns are dying. That's not good for anybody. So the, the 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 story of Ohio is the wake up call that you not only lose you know the partisan split that we used to have, you lose the public assets that made Ohio great, and that is tied directly to lack of democracy. And I think the smartest efforts to change this failed direction will be the ones that really focus in on those failed public outcomes. So,
1: David, you mentioned the, how we fix it in a second, but to kind of further the point, and I know Joe has made this on previous podcasts, if you look at Ohio from like a 30,000 foot level as just kind of a you know, rank and file Democratic activist, you think of it as a battleground because yeah. it's really on a presidential level and every every cycle there's a senate race usually you you rarely kind of under the hood realize you've got this battleground but under the hood it's it's essentially lockstep a republican state on the on the legislative
0: level right i mean they've it yeah it's rigged i mean it's literally you once they drew those 62 districts and the 12 republican districts whether Ohio was blue in 2012, or red in 16, or Sherrod Brown won in 2018 by seven, none of it mattered on the state house level or the congressional level. Like those are rigged. Those are what Orban in Hungary would recognize as good sort of pre, pre-determination of outcomes. And so those are just like, as, as you guys just said, Joe said about Alabama, it's essentially not been a democratic state at the legislative level for a decade. And that's why all those warped consequences are following.
1: Right. And then if those public consequences, I mean, the failure to, 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 for the public, you know, for, for, for what the public's experiencing. And then they go into, uh, government doesn't work. Right. You know, it, it, and falls, it, it, you know, and, and start to, they dismantle it. And then they, and then they, um, scream that government doesn't work and the Democrats want too much government. I mean, it's just, a, it's a, right. it's like a death spiral once they, I mean, for democracy, I think once they, once yeah. they, once they accomplish that, unless we start uh, waking up, thank you for what you've been doing to do that. But, but I do want to get to sort of your... Focus on you know solutions. What would work in Ohio or nationally, or and, and again right. the thirty steps that you do talk about. For those of you who have not read the book, we will put the uh, link to to uh, the book in our show notes. Uh, because I can't recommend enough that uh, that you 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 read this uh, prescription for not only the alarm but the prescription for what we need to do to to take steps.
0: Yeah. So let me just say, I mean, I go through the 30 steps and, you know, I do hope people read the book because it gets into a lot of specifics and that was my goal was to have enough people see it that hopefully it can come a little viral and everyone starts doing it. The biggest thing we have to do, and this is true of every single person on the side that cares about democracy, which I hope is more than just large D Democrats, by the way. Yep. We have to see the battle for what it is. And one side, you know, the the the, the folks on the other side, they know that their worldview would lose in a robust democracy. Whether it's trickled on economics or extreme views like getting rid of Roe v. Wade, or you know, the strain that we've always had in this country of white supremacy, in a diverse majority, none of the things that they they want would survive in a world of robust democracy. But so their fight is different from ours. It has been for a generation. Their fight is to keep democracy at bay so they can keep their agenda in place, despite it being a minority agenda. Our fight, unfortunately, and I get it, we're idealistic about democracy. We assume it's intact in America, that it's stable. So we've been fighting for the substantive outcomes we care about by mainly focusing on federal elections, right? And when we win like Obama won or Biden won, we're like, yes, we won it all. And we win the Senate even better and you know, and if we lose, we're heartbroken if we lose those elections. and but automatically, because it's a federal focus, we're focusing on the swing states and swing districts that give us those federal majorities in the years that those elections are up. They're fighting for against democracy itself. They know that the keys to that are not federal, but state, mm-hmm. so they fight their battle in fifty states every single year, wherever it is. I ask you, if we're fighting for federal seats in swing states, And they're fighting democracy itself every single year in all fifty states. Who's going to win? They will win. It's guaranteed. Um, We have to reframe our side's view of the battle. We need to go where they are. It's for democracy itself. The keys to our democracy. Of course, we have to win federal races. But if we continue to not look at the state houses, or we just sort of one off it, like, hey, Eric Holder is taking care of that. Great. You know, that's not enough. It's got to be the full picture. of of the democracy battle means 50 states. You you and Howard Dean talked about it. 50 states, all those districts, every year, they all impact democracy. One state without democracy is wrong. It's a disaster. Dozens of them is a true disaster for the country. And that means, what do we think about differently if we see it as a big battle for democracy? One, we start to see it's a long game, not a cycle by cycle game. It's something that we measure our progress and lay out our strategies to be a long-term build for democracy. And the best example of this is Stacey Abrams. If she had given up after every cycle that Georgia was red, Georgia would never turn blue. But she knew that the battle for democracy in Georgia was a long game. And so whether she won or lost, as long as she saw progress towards a more democratic Georgia, a more enfranchised Georgia, She knew she was making progress. In 18, what did she say after she didn't quite win the governor's race after a very tainted election? She said, we made progress because she knew it was a long game. Two years later, we all saw how right she was. We have to reframe this as a long game. We can't just get, get excited when we win a cycle and get depressed when we lose one. We have to always be building strategies that are long game strategies. One example, in a short game mindset, you only focus on a few federal swing races and you don't run in every district because that won't Mm -hmm. change the outcome in that short mindset. A long game strategy means you better run in every district. Every district every year is how you make progress if it's a long-term battle for democracy. It's a disaster for a long game mindset about democracy. If you literally let a third of the other top team's candidates go with a pass, every state house election you never hold them accountable you never even make the argument so the minute you get to a long term battle for democracy mindset it changes where you fight when you fight how you fight how you think about it and everything else that i talk about stems from that changed framework and so i go through specific ways that every single person can can change what they do or think more about what they do to get involved that includes candidates activists u.s senators and let me just say on this uh, because it needs to be said the founders knew this was a risk they literally worried sick james madison particular that undemocratic state houses could be the undoing of our nation's democracy given the powers they were given over our elections over the electoral college process over districting he worried that that at the time he worried the monarchy would use state houses as a backdoor to undermine the new American democracy. He also worried they were highly corruptible by quote, rich men who would use state houses to get their ends and undermine democracy. You know, how right could he have been? And so he was so concerned about this that in the constitution, they literally have a clause that's overlooked and it comes right before the clause where it says that the United States shall protect states from foreign invasion. It says, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the country a Republican form of government, by which they meant the will of the people was sovereign. He worried, they worried, that if a state became undemocratic, it would undermine the entire nation. My point of all this is to say, when Joe Manchin and other senators take an oath to the Constitution, they are literally taking an oath to guarantee democratic governance in states. And the filibuster, has no business standing as an obstacle to them fulfilling that deeper constitutional oath. So we have to all do a lot, but we also have to continue to press the federal government and all these officials to actually stop violating their oath to the constitution and protect democracy and states. And, and you know, they don't have to listen to me. They can look at the constitution, which instructs them what they should be doing. There's a lot of other specifics. So I go through about how every single person can be lifting democracy even more than they realize.
1: Well, that's one of the things I've been talking about uh, is the need to build a, a, a bottom up across you know the ideology, forget parties, those kinds of things, and build uh, people a, a coalition of a pro democracy coalition of people coming Absolutely. together at, at at every level, at the precinct level, in their neighborhoods. In, in every town, in every you know, in every uh, city uh, and, and rural area, uh, to rise up um, and become part of the pro democracy coalition that that doesn't that yes is is fighting uh, all the fights that we need to fight in 2022 to to hold the House and, and the Senate, but but also to to commit to fighting um, in these legislative. Uh, raises running for things like the election board uh, right. and, and other, uh, you know, participating uh, uh, as poll watchers, all the things that need to happen uh, out out there. And one of the things that, that Alex and I are part were part of, and I just want to put a, a plug in here because I think it's uh, uh, salient to what we're talking about. You know, it's it's we created something uh, with Lincoln Project and others coalition. Uh, site where people, individuals can go and sign up uh, to join a pro-democracy coalition. We're calling it The Union. Um, awesome. And it's jointheunion.us is where people who, who can, are listening can go, check it out, sign up, uh, but what we're looking to do is to build exactly what you're 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 talking about, David. Um, I mean, to find if this isn't about any one group. If if you're in Georgia and you sign up, uh, and Fair Fight Georgia needs help to organize okay. you know we we will get your name to them if it's a a, a local legislative race uh in, in a state that you want to help with we will get you there if you're an attorney and you want to help uh, with legal work to protect democracy, we'll get you in touch with people like Mark Elias and and others who are. Mm-hmm. So it, the idea is to 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 show up there, tell us what you're interested in, your skills are, or what your interests are, what you're interested in being involved in this pro democracy coalition, and then we will get you to the right people, whether it's Ohio. Arizona, the and not just the Senate and House races, but other ways to participate and actually fight every day to to protect and preserve our union, our republic, and our democracy.
0: That's that's wonderful, and I I would say, I think that's a great resource. I'm gonna check it out. The thing I would say to anyone listening is, even beyond groups that are sort of dedicated to this stuff, I would challenge every one of your listeners to think through their own footprint in life. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have a footprint of influence. Some are very powerful, you know, mayors and billionaires and senators and others are everyday people. And that's great too, but everyone has a footprint. And I would say to people listening, think about every part of your footprint and how it can be used to lift democracy. And here's an example. Are you on a nonprofit board? Uh, let's say a homeless shelter. Is that homeless shelter registering people who go through it or is a food bank? Are you registering people? Do you know the mayor of your town? If you do, ask her or him, "Hey, are we registering people at the local rec center that we run or the library?" Um, you know, it, we can't just wait for. So, so right now, one of the most important ways that people register to vote is the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Why? Because people are going there for other reasons, and we use it to get them registered. Well. We should think about every single way that we are talking to people in our lives. You know, do you run a restaurant, a barbershop? Are you using that institution to lift people? In addition to the sort of one-off registration effort, we need to put into the main the bloodstream of everything we do lifting democracy. So the way I think about it is add to your own mission statement and the mission statement of any organization you're part of, whether it has nothing to do with politics or not, Add lifting democracy, because that's what it's going to take. We need to scale this up. And we scale it up by welcoming you know, Stacey Abrams and Michelle Obama when they come to our states to do this work. But we scale it up even more if we all incorporate into things that we do every day anyway. And, and I, I, I look back at my own time at a city council. I spent a lot of time helping people do the earned income tax credit. And I brought millions of dollars back to Cincinnati when people did that. I didn't think to register voters at our rec centers. It just wasn't, I didn't think about it as part of my city council mission. Well, I look back now and I think of how many people I could have registered. And that's why if you know a council member, an alderman, you name it, ask them, are they putting their city footprint to work to lift democracy, knowing that in many states, the very people they would be helping are the people being purged by the state. So they 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 have an obligation, I believe, to stand up for their constituents who are being attacked in our democracy to lift them back up, and we all should think about it that way. And and you know, one thing I would love to see on on your on your group that you mentioned um, and others is a sharing. Every time someone does this, and I want to. I'm going to ultimately try and dedicate my website to a lot of this. Every time someone does this. Uh, and does it well, let that be a a true laboratory of democracy. Oh my gosh, that restaurant down the street, they registered 600 people last week. I'm going to go buy more barbecue from there or whatever, uh, because they're doing that. So every success story, we lift and we celebrate, and then we reward by by spending our money there. That's the kind of way I think you you take, you know, there's a lot of people want to do this, But scale it up by having it be incorporated to everything we do and then reward that good behavior. That's how you start making it really count for something.
1: I actually think that's a uh, David, I really think that's a great uh, uplifting uh, place to to end giving people um, ideas about how they they can use their own footprint uh, to make a difference. Uh, And I love your idea about sharing the successes out there and then, and then uh, rewarding that success uh, where we find it with, with our support. Um, So I want to thank, thank David uh, for joining us and thank you all for listening to that trippy show. We'll be back next week. If you'd like to learn more about David's work, visit laboratories of com or follow David on Twitter at David Pepper. And we will, um, Put show in the show notes links to, to, the, to both the, to the book and, and his uh, uh, Twitter handle. And, of course, join the Pro-Democracy Coalition at jointheunion.us. Don't forget, sus- please subscribe to That Trippy Show. Leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen, although we're trying to make sure that we're not on Spotify. Uh, we're Neil Young fans. And please do share this with a friend. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the reviews on iTunes. See you next time. And David, thanks so much for coming on and for all you do.